0: at Hollywood United Methodist Church. We are so glad you have joined us in person and online as we worship together. Please stand as you are able for our opening hymns.
1: Come help me. Oh, great. Let's sit up here. You want to sit with me? Sometimes I don't know if I'm going to have a helper or not. Good morning. April Olt here, coordinator of children's ministries. I am so excited to be with everyone here in person and those joining us virtually. Today we're talking about uh, continuing our work on the Lord's Prayer. And we're talking about prayers of asking uh, so we're on the line, give us this day our daily bread. And so we've been talking a lot in our house, as I'm sure many of you have had these conversations, of, oh yeah, of things that we need and things that we want. Oh, okay, so I think she's going to go back. So, bye. Um, so if you notice, she has her baby Yoda dress on. So we have a lot of conversations of every time we see cartoons or reading books of I need that, I need that. So we've been having talks about I want that and what that, what that looks like, what that feels like. And I think for us as adults, we, we get that difference sometimes of need versus wants. I think where we have sometimes a difficulty where young people, you can help us, is that asking for help part. How many of us find it a little bit difficult to ask for help? Oh. Yeah, Annalee, do you like help sometimes?
2: Oh, Babu, I,
3: I have some books.
1: Okay. Do you like to, when you climb, do you like to climb by yourself or do you want help?
3: Oh, I like climb, climb by myself.
1: She likes to climb by herself. Sometimes she wants to go higher than uh, Mama and I are comfortable letting her go, right? And so she knows she needs to ask for a little bit of help. And I love that image for us as adults. Sometimes we think we can climb a little bit higher than we really can do on our own. And I think just like all of our young friends, we can use a little bit of help. And so that's that prayer for asking. When we think of give us this day our daily bread, we're asking God in that line for those things that we really need, those things that we need to survive. And one of those things that we need to survive is our social connections We need one another and we need help. So I would love for us to think this week about those times that we really need to ask for help. And those are those brilliant times when we can take that to God, both as young people and as young at heart people. So that is my wish for all of you this week. Take that moment and find times to ask God for help. And you'll be amazed at the beautiful things that can happen when you do. And this goes back to our very first week. Finally, what's the last thing that we say? When somebody does something nice for you, what do you say at the end? You say what?
2: Do you say thank you? Thank you.
1: Yeah, you say thank you. So then the prayer of thank you comes in at the end. All right, and all God's children said? Amen. Let's have a little prayer, okay? We do prayers every night in our prayer book. You are right. So let's bow our heads and do a little prayer together. Thank you. Dearest Lord, thank you so much for giving us this beautiful community for all of these young people that inspire us and for the power to really come to you and ask for help in those times that we really need it. And maybe we just need a little bit of assistance and guidance. Please open us up to be able to ask for that help when we need it and then at the end to be able to say thank you and to give back and all God's children said amen Amen. we will be going into the chapel today if some of you want to join us hey we'll be over there
0: As our kids go off, let us stand and greet one another with the peace of Christ. May the peace of Christ be with you.
4: The peace of the Lord be with you so pleased to see you this morning and i want to invite you now to join with me to enter into that special time that we set aside to have a conversation with god our time of prayer i want to invite you to take a deep breath let it out forget about the stress of traffic trying to get here or the bus that never picked you up that's what happened to me today the construction on highland boulevard You are here, you are welcomed and you are loved. Let us now receive our choral invitation into a time of prayer. One, holy creator, we gather before you in your sight, humbled by the power and the glory of your creation, your love, your forgiveness. Pour your Holy Spirit over us this morning, for we are in need of its sustaining power and strength. We are worried, Lord, troubled by the brokenness in the world by the hate we see on our TV screens, and the violence that lives in our communities. Lord, in your mercy, hear this prayer. We mourn for the loss of lives in Buffalo, New York, yesterday, for the senseless act of violence carried out in the name of white supremacy, for the terror and trauma that has been left in its wake. Lord, have mercy. God, we acknowledge that the aftermath of this violence is far-reaching and that many in our own community and congregation may be experiencing fear and anxiety, fatigue, anger, and pain in response to an evil that never seems to pass but reemerges over and over again. We name and acknowledge, dear God, before you that this was an attack on black people and we beg your forgiveness for a culture and society where such hate continues to live. Lord, have mercy on us. Give us strength, dear God, to walk with one another, to bear each other's pain and sorrow, and to offer to you what we are not able to carry. Open our own hearts and help us to examine the places where hate or prejudice lurk. Help us to do the work needed to build communities of love peace and healing. We do not always know the way, but we place our trust in you, O Lord, and where you lead us, we pray to be able to follow. With your help, all is possible. Bring healing to the hearts of humanity. To all those who suffer illness, grief, and uncertainty, may your Holy Spirit cover them and bring healing and comfort. We pray this morning for Monique and all those who loved Weldon and we know that on his passing, he has gone home to you. But we are sad and we pray that you will be with us in our time of grief. We pray for Ray and the loss of his father. We pray for Ruth, may she be healed soon. We also have many joys and, and thanks to offer you for you are the God of all that is good. We thank you for the beauty of this day and the warmth of the sun and the opportunities that life gives us. We pray for travel mercies for Deb and Dave and enjoyment and refreshment on their vacation as they leave this week. And we hold up all of the members of our community who are in need of your presence. There are so many things we want to say to you, so many prayers we still hold, and we offer them to you now silently. You are the almighty creator, and through you all things are possible, all joy, new life, and new possibility. The love and teachings of your son Jesus Christ have assured us that a new world is coming, that the darkness of this world is fleeting, and that every day we are reborn in his love. And so with that deep confidence, and with hearts longing for change, we pray the prayer that he taught us together as one people of God. Our Father, who art in heaven, Good morning. There are a number of wonderful things coming up in the life of the church and I wanna share a few of them with you now. On Monday night, May 17th at 7 p.m. we'll have another planning session for our Pride event that we're gonna participate in. If you'd like to be in that meeting, please email Reverend Kathy. Next week after church, we're going to serve together at Food on Foot. We've been accepting registrations. Today will be the last day to register with me. We do have to pre-register, so if you'd like to come, we'd love to have you. I also encourage you to bring clean new socks next week to put in the bucket that's in the narthex. We're going to be delivering those to Food on Foot with us as we go to serve from 1230 to 230. And stay tuned, because on June 5th, it's Pentecost, which we're very excited about. We're going to have a visiting youth choir. There's going to be a baptism. There's going to be lunch. There's going to be cake. Basically, it's the church's birthday, and we're going to have a party. So be prepared to be here and have a great time, and worship and celebrate. And lastly, every third Sunday of the month, we try to bring to you a call to action. We call it Call to Action Sunday, and that's today. We get the opportunity to learn something a little bit more about an issue or uh, a program that we want to be a part of here at our church so that we can put our hands and feet of the ministry of Christ into the world. And we are super excited today to welcome Dr. Larry Had Jr., who is going to be sharing with us about the AIDS life cycle. Please welcome Larry.
3: This morning, my friends, I have the pleasure of speaking to you about the AIDS Life Cycle. AIDS Life Cycle is a seven-day, 545-mile bike ride from San Francisco to Los Angeles, co-produced by and benefiting the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and the Los Angeles LGBT Center. The event raises awareness about the ongoing HIV AIDS epidemic and fund services such as HIV testing, prevention care, and much more. Since 1993, when the ride began as a for-profit event called California AIDS Ride, participants have raised more than 220 million and completed more than 42,000 journeys on bikes from San Francisco to Los Angeles. This year, there are 2,800 cyclists participating in the ride, each having to raise a minimum of $3,000 to ride. I am the team captain for Team Circuit Riders, and our own Bishop Mary Ann Swenson is our honorary team captain. We are a group of United Methodist ministers and congregants who want to help end the HIV and AIDS epidemic. Our name, Circuit Riders, comes from the name given to traveling preachers in the late 17 and 1800s who spread Methodism into the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. The early circuit riders spread Methodism riding on horseback, and we are trying to end the epidemic with an epic journey on our bicycles. There have been uh, several uh, congregants here who've participated in AIDS life cycle in the past. This is only the beginning for team circuit riders. It's the inaugural year and we plan to keep on having a United Methodist team ride in and raise funds for AIDS life cycle. We have three United Methodist ministers and three United Methodist lay people on our team. As of yesterday, the six of us have collectively raised more than (laughs) $23,000. By being a part of AIDS life cycle community, We commit and we work towards the mission of funding the work of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation uh, and the Los Angeles LGBT Center. We commit to raising awareness to end the stigma surrounding HIV and AIDS. We commit to providing a positive learning, life-affirming experience for people affected by HIV and AIDS. We commit to growing our community of activists, volunteers, and ambassadors fighting to end AIDS. And we honor those who have passed from AIDS-related causes. Here is what the route entails, riding from Northern to Southern California. We have 21 days left until the ride, and we depart the Cow Palace in San Francisco on June 5th. It's a 545-mile ride with seven days of riding and six nights of camping, and I'm a bougie brother, and I think I'm more scared of the camping out and the porta-potties than I am of the actual ride. Over the course of those seven days, we will climb more than 23,000 feet. That's higher than Mount Kilimanjaro. The longest day is day two with 109 miles and the shortest day is day five with 43 miles. If you are interested in joining the fight to end the HIV-AIDS epidemic by helping Team Circuit riders raise funds to benefit AIDS life cycle, I challenge you to scan the QR code, Uh, look in the e-newsletter. Also, the QR code is in the NorthX. You can, uh, from the Donate button on the website, the drop-down menu, just click on AIDS life cycle and also from the uh, actual QR code. If you want to mail in a check to the church, do that as well, Uh, make sure AIDS life cycle is noted in the line. We also solicit and ask for your prayers for our journey. On Easter weekend, on Holy Saturday, several of us participated in what's called Day on the Ride. It was a 68 mile ride from Griffith Park to Sierra Madre and back. And it simulates an actual day on the ride with rest stops and a lunch break. It was a beautiful and a very glorious day with about 250 of us cyclists participating. Our day ended tragically when one of our brothers, Andrew Gelmert, was hit and killed by a drunk driver in Griffith Park near the Ranger Station, just a half a mile away from the finish line. Our brother was 77 years young, and this would have been his fifth AIDS life cycle as a member of the team, Different Spokes. This morning, my brothers and sisters, I not only ask for your financial contributions, but I ask for your prayers as well for the 2,800 cyclists who continue to train for our epic journey from San Francisco to Los Angeles from June 5th through June the 11th. May God bless you and may God keep you. This morning is my prayer.
4: Here, one more time for Larry and the AIDS life cycle. As Larry mentioned, you will have the opportunity on all the electronic ways of donating to that. We really want to support our Methodist brothers and sisters as they're doing this critical work of raising awareness about AIDS and HIV. That ministry has been core to our congregation and our identity as a justice church, and we want to be able to support our brothers and sisters where they're continuing to do that work and that witness, because that is a witness out in the world. Everything that we do here at our church, every ministry, every way that we are able to touch our community is made possible, of course, by our heavenly parents who brings us inspiration in the Holy Spirit, but also by your generous offering. We encourage you to give as generously as you are able to the ministry of this church so that we can continue to be a beacon of justice, inclusive love, and a place that all people can call home here in the heart of Hollywood.
5: A reading from Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave his debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then the fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he could pay his debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their lord all that had taken place. Then his lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God.
0: This morning, we continue our Eastertide sermon series entitled, Why Pray? We know that when we place ourselves before God in prayer, we are changed, our hearts are opened. We no longer think of ourselves as self-sufficient, instead we open ourselves to God's presence and power in our lives, and we form a relationship with God through prayer. So over the course of these six weeks, we are considering not just why, but how to pray by looking at elements of the Lord's prayer as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew in the center of the Sermon on the Mount. And as a basis for this series, I'm using a book by the Reverend Adam Hamilton, the founding pastor of the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City, entitled The Lord's Prayer, The Meaning and the Power of the Prayer Jesus Taught. And this week, Pastor Bridie will be leading our Wednesday online discussion group uh, at six o'clock. So that's on Zoom, so if you'd like to be part of that, just email Bridie. Now, we began this series by contemplating our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. We asked why Jesus said our rather than my, concluding that because we all belong to God, we need to acknowledge our corporate, our community prayer to God. The following week, we talked about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We talked about what our world would be like if God's kingdom fully existed on earth and where we can see glimpses of the kingdom in our everyday lives. We also talked about the gap between the world as it is, and the world as it could be, and how it's part of our role to help bridge that gap to bring forth the kingdom. Last week, we talked about our daily bread, and when we pray the Lord's Prayer, that we are asking for God to give us the essence of what we need to exist. Again, not a personal prayer, but a collective one, For the bread that feeds our hunger, but also the bread of life that nourishes our souls. Now, this next petition in the Lord's Prayer is likely the most difficult one if we really stop and reflect on it. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Notice there are two parts to that sentence Forgive us, and we forgive. Every time we pray this prayer, we are both seeking forgiveness and being reminded to extend it to others. So what does it mean to forgive? Well, I could preach for hours on that, but I won't. To summarize, it means not to condone or excuse hurtful actions. Forgiveness never means accepting inappropriate behavior, nor does it mean that we can't own our feelings of righteous anger. But it also means that we regulate our behavior in response to pain, and we learn to live in a new way. Now we can all think of situations in our families, in our circle of friends, in our workplaces, even in the church, where if we don't practice forgiveness daily, we will become paralyzed with anger or pain. Face it, we're all human. We hurt each other, sometimes intentionally and many times not. But the reality is that we can't truly live if we don't forgive and move beyond and let go of those people, those situations that are sources of hurt in our lives. Hamilton notes that forgiveness is both a choice and a process. Now, how many of you grew up saying, forgive us our trespasses? Trespasses? Who grew up saying, as in Matthew's gospel, forgive us our debts? See, as I told the group Wednesday night, I went, I went to the Methodist church as a cradle Methodist where we prayed trespasses, but I went to a Baptist day school where they said debts. So this confused me all the time growing up. And then Jesus, in Luke's version, Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, forgive us our sins. All right, so which is it? Well, spoiler alert, it's all of them, but we'll, we'll take it one at a time. In Luke's version, where Jesus says, forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone indebted to us, the Greek word for sin, and I'm going to stop right now and say, Greek was the only, only class in seminary I had to repeat because I didn't pass the first time. So if I pronounce this Bishop Swenson wrong, just uh, just forgive me. No pun intended there. But the Greek word for sin is hamartia. It's an archery term that means to miss the mark. You pull back your bow and you're ready to shoot, but you don't hit the target. It goes to the left or the right or up or down. It falls short. In New Testament period, it was the primary word for sin. And it makes sense in many ways, because the scriptures are filled with verses describing how we are to love God and our neighbors, to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God, to not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But because we are all human, we all, at one point or another, miss the mark. Now, nearly every English translation from Matthew's gospel has forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. In Greek, there's another word that I'm gonna to try to pronounce, but it literally refers to something owed to another person. In Jesus's time, everyone understood the metaphor of debt as it relates to sin and forgiveness. Hamilton notes that in the Lord's Prayer, uh, the use of the word debt was a powerful metaphor because all of the people Jesus was talking to were debtors for the most part. They either had to become a slave because they worked off the debt or they were in debtor's prison until someone paid off the debt for them. The act of paying off another person's debt was called redemption. And the person who did it was called a redeemer. So Jesus teaching the disciples to ask God to cancel their debts was a very radical concept. Our debts to God are those things that we do intentionally or unintentionally that bring pain to others and pain to God. In other words, sin. Yet the God of love and the God of grace that created us will forgive us our debts as long as we forgive the debts of those who have sinned against us. And that's the point of our Gospel lesson for this morning. A man and his family were about to be sold into slavery because he owed the king a large sum of money that he could not repay. The man pleaded with the king for mercy and for more time to pay off his debt. But instead of extending his repayment time, the king did something extraordinary. He canceled the debt entirely. He writes off a fortune, and it was a fortune in those days, and he lets the man and his family go free. And how does the man respond to the king's amazing act of grace and generosity and forgiveness? Well, as he travels out of the palace, he encounters someone who owes him just a tiny, tiny bit of money. But does he offer this second man the same type of generosity of spirit and grace? No, he demands payment in full and threatens to have the man jailed if he doesn't pay him back. Well, when the king hears about his actions, he reinstates the debt against the first ungrateful man and he throws him into debtor's prison. So when we pray, forgive us our debts, we have to pray the entire sentence as we forgive our debtors. In other words, we can't truly receive God's grace unless we are willing to impart it to others. I know that sometimes we have to pray extra hard to have the strength to forgive another person because we have been so wronged or so hurt. But that's okay, because God will sustain us. There's a story about a woman and her grandmother who were the very forgiving and religious soul the grandmother was. They were sitting on their front porch discussing a member of the family. And the young woman said, he's just no good. He's completely untrustworthy, not to mention lazy. Yes, he's bad, the grandmother said, rocking in her rocker. But Jesus loves him. Well, I'm not so sure about that, the young woman persisted. Oh, oh yes, said the grandmother. Jesus loves him. She rocked back and forth a few more minutes, and then she said, Of course, Jesus doesn't know him like we do. The truth is Jesus does know us. Jesus knows us better than we even know ourselves. And for us to build the beloved community, the kingdom of God on earth, we must ask for forgiveness for ourselves and we must extend forgiveness to others. The great Frederick Buechner once wrote, when someone you have wronged forgives you, you are spared the dull and self-diminishing throb of a guilty conscience. When you forgive someone who has wronged you, you are spared the dismal corrosion of bitterness and wounded pride for both parties. Forgiveness means the freedom again to be at peace inside your own skin and to be glad to be in another's presence. All right, so we have sins and we have debts, so what about this trespass thing? Well, in 1526, William Tyndale, when his English translation put trespasses in, and he probably based it on the two verses that follow the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew. The only time Jesus offers a commentary on the Lord's Prayer. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In Greek trespasses is paratomata, which literally means falling away or a misstep. Again, perhaps intentional or unintentional. It could be stepping on another's property when you're not allowed or violating a person's personal space or being. As Hamilton puts it, it's going on a path you are not meant to embark on. It's similar to hamartia to miss the mark. In the end, debts, trespasses, and sins all speak to the pain we can cause others and God. Now, I'm not gonna speak for all of you, but I will tell you that in my relationship with God, I have incurred debts. I have missed the mark big time, and I have trespassed whatever way you choose to pray, we are asking for forgiveness and recognizing our need to forgive others with the same love and grace that we have received. Because to love implies forgiveness. Loving doesn't excuse behaviors. True love holds others accountable for their action, even as it encompasses forgiveness. And forgiveness is not a one and done, ever. It's a process. Professor Greg Jones calls forgiveness a craft, like the practice of medicine, a craft that can take us sometimes years to perfect. Jesus gave Peter the formula for that craft. If someone hurts you, don't forgive them seven times, forgive them 77 times. Even if it takes you your entire life, forgive them completely. We who have been forgiven by God, who have been active recipients of God's grace, we just can't live by the same standards that the world lives by. The great Mark Trotter, Pastor Emeritus of First UMC San Diego once wrote that for the Christian, forgiveness is not only an occasional gesture that we extend to individuals. Forgiveness is a strategy for changing the world and oh, how our world needs changing. After the Paris bombing, uh, terror bombing in 2015, Anne Lamott wrote a piece that I shared then. I shared it again after the Orlando massacre in 2016, again after an anti-Semitic rampage in a Pittsburgh seminary in 2018, an attack at a Walmart in El Paso in 2019, where the man had expressly declared his hatred of Latinos, and now in Buffalo, 2022. How long, oh Lord, when will this end? Lamott wrote, so where do we even begin today? What do we do when it feels like we're all doomed and the future will only be worse and we can't remember anything that ever helped us come through? Well, we have shards of truth and we can gather them up, bits of broken mosaic tile that shine, we know that this is a very dangerous place, that we are an extremely vulnerable species, that Cain is still killing Abel. And yet also, that love is sovereign here. We know that why is not a useful question, and figure it out is not a good slogan. We know that the poor, the innocent, babies, the very old, and the LGBTQ community always bear the brunt. I'm quite sure seven years later she would add people of color to this list. She goes on writing, so where do we find grace and light? If you mean right now, the answer is nowhere. It's like after a child dies. Grace always does bat last. And the light always overcomes the darkness, always, historically, but not necessarily later the same day or tomorrow after lunch. Wendell Berry told me 25 years ago in Advent, the darkest days of winter, it gets darker and darker and darker, and then Jesus is born. But you don't have to believe in a God with socks and shoes on maybe goodness, maybe love. Well, family, we do believe in a God who came to Earth, who lived and loved and walked among us and taught us that goodness is stronger than evil, that grace indeed does bat last and that forgiveness is not just a feeling, but it is an action. We need to pray with all our might to find the ways to forgive this 18 year old boy who has reportedly been planning this attack on people of color, specifically black people in Buffalo, New York. He's been planning this for over a year, closer to two. We need to forgive him and we need to forgive the people who taught him to hate because hatred is not an innate response to someone, hatred is taught. And he learned it from somewhere. But as I quoted Hamilton at the top of the sermon, forgiveness is both a choice and a process. It's a choice for us to not harbor anger or resentment, two of the myriad emotions that led him to do what he did. It's a choice for us to insist that this young man and those he conspired with be held accountable for their actions. And it's a choice for us to pray for him even as we pray for the families of those he harmed and those he killed. But untangling the yarn of the racist skein known as as white supremacy, specifically that subsection called replacement theory that this teenager somehow wrongly believed in. That untangling is a process. One that can indeed change the world as Dr. Trotter spoke about, but it's a process. It's each of us speaking the truth when we hear the lies of racism and sexism and homophobia being spread on social media, on television, in text messages, with our families in other parts of the country that aren't in a blue bubble like we are here. It's speaking out about what a loving church, what a loving society can look like. One that supports and embraces AIDS life cycle because every single person affected by HIV and AIDS is a beloved child of God and created in God's good image. Forgiveness is claiming the grace of God. That is the why we forgive and then doing the work to make the world more like the kingdom of God. Because that family, that is the power of forgiveness. So I invite you as we go forth this week to reflect on who in your life, who in my life, who do we need to forgive? Who is it that we've refused to offer grace to Who are the people whose behavior we need to let go so we can be free? Forgive us our sins, O Lord. Thank you for your all-encompassing grace that allows us to forgive those who sin against us. Help us get to 70 times seven, even though we know that just a single forgiveness is sufficient, and may we let our light shine, amen. As we prepare to receive the benediction, uh, know that this next week, uh, beginning tomorrow, I'm going to the annual Festival of Homiletics, a preaching conference that I've gone to every year, except for the past two, because I haven't had it, uh, in person. Uh, it's preaching in the morning, preaching in the afternoon, preaching at supper time. It's, it's just, I, I know I'm a nerd. I can't help but I love it. Um, but all is that to say, I will not be with you next week. Uh, but be nice to Bridie this week, please. Be gentle with her, because <laughs> she has another full-time job. So you know, just please, please be gentle with her. Go forth now, knowing that God loves you, knowing that God offers you the grace of forgiveness. Go forth, knowing that you have the power to forgive others, and in so doing, it's a strategy to change the world. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. <laughs>